Um, as I'm preparing up here to um, give a message, I'm reminded we've got 10 of our folks in Mexico right now. Uh, they left this past week and are partnering up with our brothers and sisters in Mexico there. And uh, this Warren Russ is preaching there. So as you think about him uh, and that team, would you throw up some prayers for them, pray for us as he's preaching and uh, for the congregation there and for their, the rest of the time that they have uh, this week uh, for them. <clears throat> so, your, your bulletin says, uh, the, what is my role in the church? And uh, we're going to table that for today, and we're going to do that next week. Because that bulletin was correct as of Thursday when it was printed. Uh, but we made a decision late this weekend to go ahead and just, let's, let's address this. Let's, let's talk about what's on everybody's mind, what's going on uh, in, the, uh, in our country right now, in the news. And So what I want to do this morning, though, again... Realizing that this is a topic where tensions are high. And most of us, if we're honest, we're going to lean one way or the other. But also we need to be honest that we don't have all of the information. And that for most of us, it's not even our job to get that information. And so what I want us to do is pull back a little bit and look at what these types of situations like we've had this week, like we have had over the past several years, what they raised up for us. And that is the issue of racism. And it's not a new issue. The, 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 the issue of racism is not something that has come along in the last few decades. It is not something that is unique to America. Racism is something that has been around from the very beginning when sin entered into the world. From the very beginning, there has been division among people who are different. And so what I want us to do this morning is... Uh, Ask the question more, what does the church have to do with this? How can the church be involved? What role should we play? And so for like the next 20 minutes that we have here, that's what I hope to explore and really just scratch the surface and maybe start some conversations. Maybe it's conversations some of you are already having. Maybe it's ones you've never thought of. But what I don't want us to do is to protect ourselves in between all these walls and for this you know, hour that we're gathered here, pretend like it doesn't exist. Because it does. And there's something we can do about it. So all cards on the table. Um, we're we're, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. is where we start. If you have your own Bible, go ahead and make your way there. If you need a Bible, the chairs have some Bibles there in front of you. Go to page 1318. And here's my cards. Here's where I'm going this morning. Speaking to Christians. Speaking to the church. Christians, be reconcilers because you have been reconciled. That's, that's where I, I think this morning as we look in, in Ephesians, what we're going to see is the role for Christians, the role of the church is that we would be reconcilers, people who pursue that, who bring that message, who stand for that because we have been reconciled. Right? So we're going to look at that in Ephesians, but before we, we dive in, let me kind of give you a little bit of history about what's going on in this Ephesian church uh, because Paul is writing to a church that has a mixture of people, has a mixture of races. You've got Jewish people, people who can trace their lineage from Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob. Right? This is what Russ talked about last week when he was talking uh, about Abraham in Genesis 12 there. And, and he was talking about that line that, that God has, um, has passed down. Those are the Jewish people. And then everyone else would be Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And from the very beginning of the Jewish people, there has been tension between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. From the very beginning, the Jewish people came into existence. 
From the very beginning, when God had told Abraham, I'm going to make you a people, and from you is going to come a great nation. It wasn't long until that nation, all 70-something of them, found themselves in Egypt. And they were, for a while, welcomed in Egypt, but very soon after, a new king takes over in Egypt, and now that king enslaves these people. And so now you've got the Jewish people who are enslaved by non-Jewish people. And the tensions rise. And so for some 400 years, there's, there's going to be some racial tension. Can you imagine being a Jew living in Egypt and those people are, are, are your, your slave masters? You, you know that's going to create some tension. And then all throughout the rest of the Old Testament history, even when Israel has come out of that situation, the tension between Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Gentiles, has always been high because the Jewish people would get enslaved again by other, other Gentiles. And, and they would be at war with other Gentiles. So the, the tension is nothing new. But by the time you get to the New Testament, by the time you get to when Paul is going to write the letter of Ephesians, what's happened is the church has been born. And so you may remember a couple weeks ago, the last time I preached, we looked at what is the church. And we said the church is a group of people who are, belong to Jesus, who are being built by Jesus, and who bring the message of Jesus. It is a group of people. It's not a building. It's not an event that we attend. It's a group of people. And so this group of people, uh, as Paul is writing in the church of Ephesus, has a mixture of races, Jewish people and Gentile, non-Jewish people. But from the first day, it wasn't necessarily like that. See, the first day the church was born, you, you may remember Acts chapter 2. If you're reading through your Bible, you come to the, the book of Acts after your Gospels, and you're reading chapter 2, and, and you see that Jesus has died, and he's raised from the dead, he's revealed himself to his disciples, and he said to them, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And so you've got these disciples and, and a few others, so you've got about 120 people gathered in this upper room, and the church was born out of a very um, unique situation, because in, in gathering up in that room, they're praying, and then all of a sudden, this wind comes in, and it's loud, and it's thunderous, and then there's flames of fire above some of their heads, and now they're talking in languages they've never learned, they've never spoken. Uh, they're, they're, they're being heard by others who speak different languages, and some are hearing them in their own languages, and others are going, they're just speaking gibberish. And so the, the situation in which the church was born was this. Some people on the outside were saying, these guys are drunk. It's 9 a.m. in the morning, and they couldn't wait. They're wasted already. And out of that, the church is born, because Peter stands up and says, no, we're not drunk. Here's what's going on. And he gives the very first Christian sermon. And at the end, when people respond, they say, what should we do? And he says, believe and uh, repent all of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then 3,000 people are saved that day. Boom, day one, mega church. But now, here's what's going on in that situation. Here's what the majority of those 3,000 people represent. You see, this was Pentecost. That's a Jewish festival. If you're a good Jew, you're going to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. If you lived in Jerusalem, you would go to the temple. If you lived outside of Jerusalem and you were able, you would travel, you and your family, to Jerusalem so that you can worship at this temple. So what you've got is a time where Jerusalem is just flooded with a whole bunch of Jewish people and some Gentile people, but, but, but fewer because there were some what the Bible calls God worshipers. The way your New Testament talks about non-Jewish people uh, who worship God is they, they call them uh, God worshipers in the Gospels and in the, in the uh, book of Acts. Those would be non-Jewish people who have submitted themselves to the Jewish law and who have uh, submitted themselves to worship the Jewish God. They're God worshipers. They're proselytes. 
Right? So you may have had a few sprinkled in there, but by and large, you had a Jewish population gathered that day. And so the church, when it was born, was primarily Jewish. But it didn't stay that way very long because as Jesus had told his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you. And he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So where, where you live, you're going to be in that city that you're currently in. But he said, like concentric circles, your, your witness is going to spread beyond there. So it's not going to stay in just Jerusalem, but it's now going to include Judea. It's like your, your region. We might say like our county. Right? And, and then it's going to go beyond that, and it's going to include Samaria. It's going to include that, that area that's outside of your county. Maybe that's your state. And then it's going to include all the world. And so the, the plan was that the church was going to spread, and eventually it was going to include all different people. See, because that's God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was never just to, to have one race of people be his own, but instead the way, way we see him working in the Old Testament is to work through the Jewish people and to have them be his, his called out, his chosen people through whom he works and, and through whom he was going to use to draw all the other nations to himself because he was going to set them apart and, and as they worshipped him, as they lived for him, all the other nations were supposed to see that and see the uniqueness and the righteous character of God and the Jewish people were supposed to go out and and, 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 and talk about their God. This is what Russ was talking about last week. See, God's plan has always been that there be multiple races in his, in his communities. But the church especially is unique. And so what happened, though, is racial tension started to rise. So when you have a church that starts out predominantly Jewish people, and you're kind of wrestling with them your whole life, all you've done is viewed the Gentiles as unclean, impure dogs... Right? Because that's how the Jewish people viewed them, many of them, because, hey, they had this law. They, they had this special relationship with God. And this law was moral, and it set them apart. And they didn't live lives like the Gentile, non-Jewish people did. And so for them, the Gentiles were unclean, unpure. You don't associate with them. If you associate with them, you are going to be considered unclean. Your reputation, your good Jewish, we might say your good Christian reputation goes down the drain. You see, and so when you start getting uh, Gentiles into the church, and if you were to read this in the book of Acts, you'll come to Acts chapter 8, and you'll see that the church uh, takes a step away from being just Jewish, and now it starts to bring in non-Jewish people, Samaritans, half-Jews. And then you read two more chapters later, Acts chapter 10, and now full-on Gentiles are being brought into the church. And so this church starts to grow, and it includes multiple races. But tensions rise, and so you'll notice Paul, in a lot of his letters, will appeal to the people he's writing for unity. And this letter is no different. You get to chapter 4 and one things he appeals for it to be unified. But how does the church speak into the issue of racism? How should the church respond to that? That's what we're going to see this morning. And we're going to go quickly through um, these verses. We're not going to look at every single thing. Uh, I'm not going to read all the way through them. We're just going to kind of work our way through them as we go. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. So Paul's speaking... He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. So he's, at this point, he's currently speaking to one particular race in this, in this church. Because, again, there was, there was more than one race, and tensions were high, so now he's talking to the non-Jewish people. He says, hey, hey, you non-Jewish people, you Gentiles who are Gentiles in the flesh, remember, and we're going to jump down to verse 12 for a minute, remember that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But in between that, he gives a little qualifier. Remember you Gentiles in the faith, uh, in the flesh. And then he kind of takes a side note. The ones who are called uncircumcised by the ones who call themselves circumcised. That's, that's a racial slur. 
That, that would be the equivalent of a racial slur in our day. Because here's what happened. There were good Jewish people who were following the law, and they, were, they saw themselves as righteous because of that. And if you were not a Jewish person, you were unclean. And part of the Jewish law, of course, was nails had to be circumcised. And if you were not under the Jewish law, that's not something you would submit yourself to, except for a few occasions. We know the Egyptians practiced that. But by and large, a lot of the Gentiles did not. Think about David and Goliath. The way that David insults Goliath, this Philistine, is you uncircumcised Gentile. How many of us have insulted someone that way recently? We don't do it. You wouldn't do it, right? But that was an insult. So to be called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves circumcision was to say, we are of the higher class. We are of the special group. You are outside. You are unclean. You are uncircumcised. And so Paul says, hey, you Gentiles according to the flesh. Yeah, the ones who are called this. Remember, though, verse 12 again. Remember, this was what things were like for you before you were part of the church. You were without the Messiah. You, had, you did not have the connection to the Christ, to Jesus, that you have now. You were alienated from the citizenship of Israel. God had this special group of people that he was working with, and he made promises to them, and he would reveal himself to them and work with them and work through them. But you, the Gentiles, you didn't have those experiences. You weren't part of the citizenship of Israel. You were not part of, of that family together. You were strangers to the covenant, so you didn't have those promises. You didn't benefit necessarily directly from those promises as you are now. And he says, you are having no hope, and you are without God in the world. Remember you, people who are non-Jewish people. Remember, this was how things were for you. But, verse 13, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, through Jesus, God reconciles. And it starts with him reconciling people to himself. But now, you who once were far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've talked before about our need to be reconciled to God, and it's, it's because of the sin that separates us from God. It's because our sin keeps us from being in the relationship that God has designed us to be in. And so it's not that God needs to be reconciled to us. He didn't do anything. He didn't go anywhere. It's us. We've all strayed. We've all gone away. And so we have need to be reconciled to God. And that's what God does through Jesus. And He does it for all races, all types of people, through Jesus. And Paul's saying, remember, Gentiles, you, you non-Jewish people, remember that one time you were far off, but God has brought you near. This is what's true of you now. You've been reconciled to God, and it's the exact same way that God reconciles everyone. And so we go on, and because God has reconciled people to himself, it means that God, our people now can be reconciled to one another. So the next verse is 14. He says, for he is our peace. That's Jesus. Jesus is our peace. The one who made both groups into one. So what groups? Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. It's Jesus who's brought peace between these, these two groups, these two races. He's the one who's bridged that gap because he's reconciled people to God, and now Paul's going to go on and tell us how we can be reconciled to one another. He's made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one new group. And so he joins, whereas before there was division, he joins them into one new group. How did he do that? And he is the one who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. All right, stop there. What he's saying is this. That Mosaic law, that law of the Old Testament, that law that was laid out where Jewish people were set apart of, and they were morally set apart, that now no longer divides and separates them from the non-Jewish people. Why? Not because the standard has changed. Not because God's requirements have changed. See, that law reveals God's righteousness. That law reveals God's character. 
And if you want to be in a relationship with God, you must be righteous. And the reality of that law is it points and constantly reminds people that you can't measure up to that righteousness. No matter how hard anyone tries, 613 commandments cannot be obeyed perfectly in your entire life. But that would be what is required of you and I to meet a righteous standard of God. But God didn't change His requirements. The requirements are still the same. He must be righteous. But what He did was in Christ, He sent Jesus who came and He lived, and He didn't cancel out that law. He didn't say the law no longer applies. He didn't say uh, that, you know, that was a plan A and went foul, now we're going to plan B. What He did was He fulfilled the law. He came and He met every one of the requirements when he lived a life that was perfectly in submission to, Christ, uh, to God. He never once broke any one of those commandments. Therefore, he earned the righteous requirement. And so God's requirement was met in Christ. And now what Jesus did is he died in the place of sinful people, people who could not meet that requirement. And what God did was he took the penalty that you and I deserved and he put it on Christ instead. And so that when Christ raised from the dead and, Jesus, and God says, now you believe in him, what happens when we believe in him is we get the righteousness that Christ earned that we should have. Or we couldn't. So God has not changed. He's not can't, uh, canceled out uh, the law and, and, its, and its requirements. Instead, he's fulfilled them. He's, uh, as, as it says up here, he's nullified them. He's made them inoperable. You no longer have to live in submission to them to meet the requirements, of, righteous requirements of God because that's been done in Christ. Now, let me say this, though. That law has lots of good stuff in it. And uh, you and I would do well to pay attention to what's in that law. In some cases, we need to be obeying that. But what, what, what Paul is saying is, you no longer have to submit yourself to that as your way of living in order to be righteous before God. The way you be righteous before God is you're in Christ. And because that has happened, he's taken away what used to divide the Jews from the Gentiles. Because Christ has fulfilled the law, Jews, you no longer have to submit your life to this. Instead, you are supposed to submit your life to Christ. Gentiles, you're doing the same thing. And so now both of you are coming together in one same person. He's making two groups into one new group. And so verse, uh, going to the end of verse 15, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. Paul goes on and he says, and to reconcile them both in one body to God. So what happens is both groups, the Jews and the non-Jews, they're reconciled to God. They're made right with God. And because they're made right with God in the same way through Christ, now they can reconcile with one another. Races that once were divided can come together. Verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, so that through him, that's through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit. Paul is making appeal to this church where there's division and there's a lack of unity. His reason for telling them to be unified is because, look, you guys both have access to the same God through the same means, the one spirit. There's no, there's no uh, part of the spirit that goes to the one community and then another to another community. It's all the same spirit, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're Hispanic. You get the same spirit when you place your trust in Christ. We're all connected to Christ in the same way. We're all brought into the church in the same way. And so because of that, because God uh, reconciles people to himself, and then therefore people can be reconciled, what happens is God building a family, and he does that through Jesus. And so we see that in verses 19. So then, so remember how he started uh, in verse 11. Remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, and then he kind of expanded on some things. Now he's bringing his conclusion out. So then. So first remember, 
that here's your action. Here's, your, here's the result that comes from this. So then, you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. In other words, you once were far away. You once weren't part of, part of them. You were strangers. Remember that that was the case. But now, that's not the case. So then, you're now part of the same family. So if there's racial tension that was there before, you're a Gentile and you didn't like the Jews, or you used to be called uncircumcision by them, and so you want to start your own Gentile church, no Jews allowed, or you want to kind of have your own group, Paul say, no, so then, you're part of them now. You're part of the same group. You're, you're citizens now. You're, you're members of God's household. Verse 20, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, that's Jesus, the whole building, not just part of the building, not just one race, the whole building is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together. Again, not just one part of you is being built, all of you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Okay, so what Paul's describing here is reconciliation that's taken place between God and people, and because of that, we should be able to reconcile with one another across races. Which is why I start out and I say Christians. People in the church. Group of people who belong to Jesus. Group of people who believed in Jesus and so you've been given new spiritual life. Be reconcilers. Because you've been reconciled. See, God has no racism in Him. And in the church there's no place for racism. And so when it comes to the issues that you and I are, are hearing about this week and that have been around for centuries and ages, it's nothing new. And we're asked, what can the church do? The church can lead out in this. Why? Because the church is the only group of people, the only organization that has the solution to racism. You see, every other organization that's fabricated by people, it can, it can have solutions that might be effective for times or in certain ways, but the church is the only organization the only group of people that has the eternal solution, that has the lasting solution, that can do it on the level that God himself does. Because God himself is the one who has created all people. And you might remember that all people are created in the image of God. All people. Whether you believe in God or not, you bear his image. And that alone makes you worthy of dignity and respect. And so we, the church, we, the group of people, and Houston Church is just one speck of sand in God's uh, global church. I mean, when we think about all the people over all time since Pentecost who believed in Jesus, that's a lot of people from different backgrounds, different races. We should lead out in that. We should be people who are, when we have the opportunity, we speak. Now, I'm not saying go pick it. I think that's ridiculous. You're not going to get your point across. Don't go pick it. But be in relationship and speak when you have the chance to speak. And model and be light and be salt. You see, most of us know that uh, in the situations we have this week, so you've got a situation where two black men were shot by two white cops. Okay? Most of us know that just because that's the case doesn't mean that all black men are thugs and all white cops are corrupt. We know that. Because every one of us in this room has a, a friend or someone we know who is in the black and African-American community who does not fit the thug profile. And we would not classify them that, and we would not say they are. We would call them friends, and we would, we would fellowship with them, and we would work alongside them. And all of us know cops and law enforcement officers and corrections officers who are not corrupt. We have many in this church who serve in law enforcement and corrections who are not corrupt, 
who love the Lord and who submit their lives to Him. Lots of them. And so what we've got to be careful and what we've got to guard is saying, well, because this is the case with one person of this color or race or with this profession, apply it to all of this color and race or this profession. We can't do that. And I know for some in this room it's going to be harder than others. I know particularly that for some maybe you've had experiences with someone who belongs to a particular race, has a particular color skin or a particular profession, and it was a negative experience. And now your struggle is to project that on everyone else. Gender. Some of you have had issues with men, or men have had issues with women, and so we do that. We project on all women, you're like this because of this is what I experienced, or all men are like this because this is what I experienced. We do that. We can't do that in the church. And we, we cannot allow that to be what guides us. And so I've just got some next steps up here. What does it look like to be reconcilers? I, I don't know. You know, you, you guys have to kind of think about your situation. Let me say this. It starts here. It starts here with me. And it starts with you. We've got to pray about any racism that's in our heart. Lord, show it to me. And then kill it. And if I can't pray that kind of prayer, Lord, help me to get to the spot where I want you to kill it in me. Because it has no place. Racism has no place for the person who's been shown race. So Lord, show it in me. Show me where I'm, I'm that way. And then kill it. Kill it in me. And then pray for the church uh, worldwide to be leaders in bringing racial reconciliation. When we claim to be Christians, we're claiming to be reconciled. When we claim to be Christians, we're not only claiming to be reconciled to God, but we're saying, I belong to the same family that everyone else who's been reconciled to God belongs to. That means people of all different backgrounds, all different races. We are claiming to be multi-ethnic when we claim to be Christians. Because Christianity and the church is not just white. It's not just black. It's not just Hispanic or Asian. It consists of people of all races, all nations and tongues. So we need to play that the church worldwide would be the leaders in this because we have the solution. We, as people who belong to Jesus, who are being built by Jesus, who bring the message of Jesus, we need to bring this message. And so we need to pray that the church worldwide would take the opportunity to do that. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not calling for you to be obnoxious and, and go and... And, and throw your views in other people's face. But what I am being, uh, saying is that you as a follower of Christ, me as a follower of Christ, I cannot be more characterized by something that divides me from others than I am by being a peacemaker for Christ. I must be more characterized by love than I am a political agenda. I must be more characterized by being a peacemaker than I am one who's being divisive. If I can't claim that, if people can't say that of me, I need to go back to number one, Lord, show me. Show me me. Because it starts here. Number three, find ways to be involved in multi-ethnic relationships and ministry. And, and what I'm talking about here is, um, all cards on the table, going to be very honest. Here at Houston Church, we don't really have any black or African American people or families that really come to our church on a regular basis. On occasion, we do. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It would be a bad thing if we were excluding them. A church should reflect its community. And so here's what I would say. Do we have people in Elvino who are black? Yes, we do. Do we have people out here in the Houston area who are black? Yes, there's a, a few. Okay? So to the extent that they want to come to this church, they're welcome. Now, to the extent that we're saying, no, you're not welcome, that's racism. I don't think Houston Church is predominantly white. Uh, and, and, and I say that, and I know we've got some Hispanic families here as well. But I don't think we're predominantly not black because we have excluded them on purpose. Maybe individuals might have that in their heart. I don't know. 
But as a church, that's not why we're, we are the way we are. Our church reflects its community. But what we do need to do is be a mindful and aware, are we doing things that block that? And I need to get outside of my comfort zone. I need to get outside of my circle. So I want to go and I want to find ways that I can be involved in multi-ethnic relationships. So you have friends, you have co-workers who belong to the black African-American community. Here's what I, I would say to you. Go talk with them. Engage with them. And, and here's what you do. So this kind of gets into number four here. Ask them. Ask them tomorrow when you go to, go to work. How are you doing? How is all of this hitting you? And then shut your mouth and listen. Because if you're like me, what you're going to want to do is talk and tell them your side of things. But don't. That's not the time for it. Instead, what we want to do, and you can apply this to any other race. So there, there are challenges that every race faces. You can uh, apply this to any other community or group of people. Go and listen to their experiences. Tell me about this. Tell me about your fears. Tell me about your anxiety. Tell me about your experiences growing up, because I guarantee you most of us in this room will not ever have the experience that they have. And whether you agree with it, disagree with it, think it's legitimate or not, you need to be able to enter into that with them. Enter into their experience. And you can do that without agreeing with people. We do it all the time. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who, who rejoice with Tell me your experience. And then ask God, help me to understand, help me to enter into that with them. You don't have to agree with everything, but it shouldn't stop you from entering in and showing love. So go ask them. Ask them to tell you what it's like growing up black. Ask them to tell you what it's like being in a community that's predominantly white and they're black. Ask, ask your friends what their experiences are with other cops and with racism. But don't let that bias you toward them and maybe bias you against all cops or corrupts, uh, corrupt. Because what I'm, what I'm calling for is a balance here. As people in the church, as Christians, we can't stand on one side or the other when it comes to people. And we, we've got to make sure that we're not being blinded by, by something. And so we need to be able to say, you know what? I've never had that experience uh, with cops like you had. And I know lots of them. In fact, I worship alongside a lot of them. They're not all that way. And I'm sorry that was your experience. And, and on the flip side, if I was talking to someone who belongs to the black African American community, I'd say to them, all white people aren't like that. Or maybe, maybe what you experience at the hands of white people it, it, it's not what every white person feels. You see what I'm saying? I can enter into an experience. I can validate emotions without saying, uh, you know, you're wrong. That's just, you're just making this into a big deal. And maybe that's what some of you are thinking this morning. Justin, you're up there and you're talking about it, making it a bigger deal. Racism, it's not here. And, and so the more you talk about it, the more it makes it into a bigger deal. And to you, I would say, you know, that, that's exactly what Cain said after he killed Abel. See, Cain kills Abel, goes to God to worship, and first thing God asks is, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, let's avoid the issue. I don't, I don't want to talk about the issue, let me just carry on with worship. We can't do that. As a church, we cannot avoid the issue. We need to be able to say, how does the church enter into this? What is my role in this? I know those of you are thinking, well, with the events that came up this week, it's one-sided. You know, I mean, it's, it's all about, you know... Um, this black agenda and people who are, you know, if they would have just obeyed the cops, they wouldn't have happened that way. Maybe. But not every case is like that. And we don't know all the details. And on the flip side, others are saying, well, maybe you'll say it's all about police brutality. Maybe. But not in every case. And we don't know all the details. 
See what I'm saying? It's not, it's not a one-sided issue. And what it raises is a bigger and deeper issue. How can the church enter into that? We've got, we've got to think about it. We've got to address it. And uh, I should have addressed this a long time ago. Thanks, Pastor. There's been plenty of opportunities to bring this kind of issue up, and I just haven't. Not because I, I was scared of doing it. It's not an easy topic to address. But because I just thought, no, we'll, we'll move forward and, you know, we'll, we'll continue with the sermon series. Or it's not as big of a deal here right now. We'll come to it later. But you know what? We've got to talk about it. We, we've got to be able to be thinking about how can I, as the church, as someone who belongs to Christ, how can I enter this? You're all going to interact with people who are being affected, affected by it. You need to think through it. So these are some next steps. Um, there's more. You know, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, go back to number three, find ways to get involved in multi-ethnic relationships. Um, some of you have been involved on Mondays when we when we go to the college. We've been doing that for four years now. We have been involved at the college on Mondays with FCA. And when you get involved at the college, you're going to interact with people of different ways. And some of you have done that, and you've seen the great joy that comes with that. Find opportunities to do that. Find opportunities to get involved where, where you're entrenching yourself in a different community. Where you're, where you're being able to minister alongside and with people of different ways. But here's what I'm not saying. And here's what the challenge is for a church like ours. And this is not a judgment, but a church that is predominantly white, middle class. The challenge for us, and this is the challenge across all of America, is to minister down. And that's not what we're doing. They're not our projects. People are not our projects. It doesn't matter if they're gay and lesbian, bisexual or queer. It doesn't matter if they're black, white, Asian. People are not our projects. So when I say find a way to get involved in ministering to, uh, to these people, alongside these people, it's not so that you can minister down. As in, I'm you know, better off than you are, so I'm going to come and help the poor people. No, but find a way where you can enter into people with different experiences and different backgrounds. And that's going to show you what can you learn from them and how can you be involved. God blesses people so that they can bless others. And it doesn't matter what color our skin is. He blesses people in all different types. It's not so that we can minister down. It's so that we can see people as people. So find ways to do that. Um, if you are a community group leader and you're looking to have some discussion, um, the uh, questions will be emailed here in the next few minutes. So you'll have that for this week if you're looking to do that. Okay? Um, I've held you over. I knew that was going to happen given the service this morning. I've barely scratched the surface. And quite frankly, I'm unqualified to even talk about it. But what I hope what you hear this morning is the scripture speaks into this. The church has bearing on this. And you and I, as people who belong to church, we cannot hide as more. We need to be aware of it. We need to ask. We need to speak. So let's pray about what that looks like. Father, um, I know on a message like this, I'm not naive. There, there are some this morning who flat out don't agree, don't want to hear it, and uh, disagree with things I've said, maybe don't understand the things I've said. I, I get that. But God, what, what, what would you, what I'm asking you to do this morning is, let us see your scripture and see in your scripture your heart and your desire for people of all nations and how the church speaks directly to that because it is a group of people who have been reconciled, first to you and then to others. And so let us be people who carry that message. Show us, God, what's in us. Show us our hearts where the racism is, where the discrimination is, where, where we're prejudiced against others, and then God, kill it. Put it to death. And if we can't pray a prayer like that, God, help us to want to want that so that you would continue to work in us and that we would be people who are bringing light, speaking peace, speaking, uh, bringing unity where no other organization can do it on the level that you do it. Forgive us, Lord, where we failed as the church, as followers of Christ in these areas. And help us.
help us to be salt and light with your grace. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, if you are able, would please stand up, dismiss, and let you get out of here. If you have questions, uh, of course, always that invitation is open. Please uh, come track me down after I'll be by the couches. Shoot me an email, call, text. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You've been reconciled, so go out and be Christ's ambassadors and carry that message of reconciliation. And do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.